great Odin's raven. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. This is, uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. With, I'll go. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast, episode number 24. My name is Adam. Today I'm joined by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing all right. Kevin's doing all right. I'm getting pumped to come up there. Tuesday. You shouldn't be. I am. Tuesday. It's when you, when you don't live there. I mean, it's nice to come back, see everybody. This week we're going to be talking about our thoughts on Moonrise Kingdom. Finally. It finally came out down here, so I got chance to see it we also have some weekly news bits including a bunch of stuff coming out of comic con we have some amazon blu-ray deals and finally we'll be doing our predictions for this week's opening films Uh, as always let's get things started with a little bit of what we've been watching this week i think i'll start this week because i have a huge list and i'm gonna try to truncate things and make things go as quickly as possible uh first up i have been doing a little Hitchcock marathon. I've been trying to watch one a day because I love Hitchcock, but there's so many that I haven't seen, even classics that I just haven't seen. I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but so I'm the same way. There's a good number of them that I have not seen. This week I watched 39 Steps, Frenzy, Rope, and Notorious, and they were all fantastic. I loved all of them. I think Rope is probably the most famous out of that bunch. I would, I'm guessing, but it's actually my least favorite out of all of those. And Frenzy was really interesting because that was his second to last film that he made. It was, came out in 72, somewhere around there. And it was a lot more violent. There was lot of nudity and you could tell that that's when the censors were kind of leaning back on things yeah so it was more like an uninhibited hitchcock film but i really liked that 39 steps was incredible that was one of his earlier movies that came out in the 30s i think somewhere around 35 just great movies i recommend all of them i also saw vampire's kiss for the first time. Have you seen this? Uh, is, is this the Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. movie? Man, this is I like the one... <laughs> when, like when you look at Nicolas Cage clips online, a lot of them are taken from this movie. This is one of his earlier movies, and it's just completely batshit crazy. <laughs> the whole movie is... Completely ridiculous. I didn't... I can't say I liked it, but it was an interesting premise. And... I mean, this is Nicolas Cage at his absolute most insane. (laughs) So Nicolas Cage becomes a vampire. (laughs) Sort of. Sort of. You really have to see it. I do thoroughly enjoy... The I don't know if it's the DVD cover or the poster or whatever the hell it is. It's horrible. <laughs> but his face and just the expression on his face. Yeah, you, you definitely got to see it. You got to sit down and watch it because it's I, it's so over the top I, and insane. I do thoroughly enjoy Nicolas Cage being batshit crazy. 
Oh, then you'll love it. Nice. You'll love it. <laughs> I also finally saw Margaret. Oh, you this did get is, to see Margaret. I did see Margaret. Which which one did you watch? Did you watch like because there's I've, two versions, right? There's like right. a director's cut that's like three hours or something. I saw the theatrical cut. Okay. I I decided I'll I'll give the theatrical cut a try, and if I like that, I'll watch the director's cut. Because I did read, I f- I forget where I read it or who said it, but someone said that they watched the theatrical and they thought it was terrible and then they watched the director's cut and they said that it was close to a masterpiece well maybe i need to see maybe i do need to sit down and watch the director's cut it'd be interesting to see like how different it is yeah because the director's cut from what i heard adds about 35 minutes to the movie and i'll tell you i barely got through the theatrical cut even even the theatrical cut is still about two hours and like 25 minutes. Ooh. So it's, Ugh. yeah, it's I don't a slog. I don't know how, I don't know how you are, but do you, when you see the runtime and it's like over two hours, do you just go to yourself like, uh, sometimes Ugh. I actually don't look at runtimes too much. Um, but it, it really depends on the movie. There's some movies that I'm like really excited for and I don't care yeah. if they're that long. Just movies that take me on, you know, th- there's some movies like, like Magnolia, for instance. I don't mind that that movie's so long, but that being said, I can't sit down and watch it on yeah. a monthly basis. Just it's certain yeah. movies, like when I saw the runtime for Savages before I went, I was just like, oh, <laughs> oh God, here we yeah. go. I don't know yeah. why that is. I have that. I have that with books too. I won't read a book that's over like two hundred and fifty pages. Yeah. If I, I have issues if I see a book too. that's like close to three hundred pages, I'm just like, well, never reading that. Well, a good example would be like for me when I went to see the Avengers, I knew that that was two and a half hours and when you watch the avengers it doesn't feel like two and a half hours margaret it's two and a half hours but it feels like it's five hours (laughs) because it's such a strange movie the the way that it's edited is really weird and and it's so long and so much happens it's the most simple concept for a movie ever a girl witnesses a horrific bus accident and has to deal with it and she deals with it in a variety of ways but there's so much like it just follows her forever never ends (laughs) and i don't want to say i don't want to say it was a bad movie but there were parts to it that it was i think i do need to see the director's cut because i think that there are parts of the film that feel um unfinished sort of yeah it just doesn't feel like a complete cohesive package so maybe i do need to to watch the director's cut and come back to it yeah i wish i could i (laughs) I, wish i could remember who said that i mean that's a huge difference from going from (laughs) one one cut of the movie is disappointing and then the other cut is close to a masterpiece well, I mean, there have been a lot, you know, I don't know if you've heard of those 
Star Wars prequel recuts that people do, like the Topher Grace edit. And they said that um, those are like actually great movies. Like they turn those Star Wars prequels into great movies. So I think editing is extremely important. Yeah. I mean, it can change the tone of a film. Topher Grace. I would love to see that Topher Grace cut. He he condensed he condensed all three Star Wars prequels into one I think it was like a hundred and ten minute film. Uh-huh. And supposedly it's like really good. Uh, Topher Grace got bored one day and he's like, you know what I'm gonna do? Yeah, I'm gonna recut the three Star Wars movies. Apparently it worked out get, it worked out for him. Yeah. He'll probably get work from that. Anyway, Margaret, I, I can't recommend it. I didn't I didn't think it was a masterpiece. I didn't think it was a great movie. It was really weird because um, for those of you that haven't heard of this film, it was actually filmed in 2005. And it took them like six years to get this thing edited. And there was all kinds of problems with the director and Fox Searchlight. And they finally came out with it. And it's like all that time in the editing room and you couldn't condense it anymore. I mean, I don't know, but it was also weird because it stars Anna Paquin, uh, Matthew Broderick plays a small role in it and Matt Damon. They all look (laughs) so much younger, (laughs) but it's like a new movie. It's really weird. I might have to revisit it later. Watch the director's cut. Not anytime soon. I can tell you that, (laughs) but yeah, I actually read that a couple places. It says the director's cut is what you're supposed to watch. Yeah, maybe I'll check it out. I don't know. I don't know if I could commit to another three hours of Margaret. Three hours that feels like five? Yeah. And I actually had to look up the name, like what, like why it was titled Margaret. Oh, they yeah. Didn't, they, have they. they weren't clear. Cause it, I don't know if maybe that's something that got cut, but... The, the poem or whatever. Yeah, but I didn't know... Because I didn't know anything about the movie other than the basic plot yeah. going into it. So I didn't I didn't know anything about the poem or anything like that. I also saw The Square, which was a movie you saw last week. I saw that movie. Week. I saw that yeah. movie. I liked it. Uh, since we talked about it last week, I don't think we need to discuss it anymore, but I liked it. I thought it was it was good. It wasn't anything spectacular was an animal kingdom but yeah. it was still good i did I it. yeah it was definitely tight story writing i thought yeah yeah I, i'm really into those uh australian crime pictures yeah blue tongue films uh, i saw the good doctor this the is the good de- why do you do that <laughs> i don't know <laughs> well okay i'll tell you why because the trailer made it look like it could be pretty cool. It looked like a nice suspense thriller. I don't dislike Orlando Bloom. I did dislike this movie. <laughs> I also like Michael Pena a lot. I do. I do. I do enjoy him. Uh, this was very disappointing. Don't see it. <laughs> it's not worth it. Did uh, not like it. Don't see it. Yeah. We may have a review up on the site for that at some point. Really? Yep. And I saw, along with Moonrise Kingdom, 
Safety Not Guaranteed came out. You're a piece of shit. Yes, they both hit theaters down here at the same time, and I was so excited. I was beside myself. When I, I woke up Friday morning, checked the listings, boom. Safety Not Guaranteed and Moonrise. Son of a bitch. And it was phenomenal. Hands down, as of now, my favorite film of the year. Mm. It was mm. just incredible. I, I loved it. Loved everything about it. Ridiculous. I am. You know how pissed off you are that I saw Moonrise Kingdom? Yeah. That's how pissed off I am at you. Doing the old switcheroo. And finally, I saw two older movies. I've been, uh, since we've been doing this letterbox thing, I've been finding a lot of older movies that I haven't seen that I feel like I should see. So I checked out Eating Raul and Kronos. So Eating Raul is the 1985 film, I want to say, somewhere around there. Uh, it, was, it was okay. It was sort of a... Eating Raul was 82. 82. I'm sorry. Yeah, 82. It was sort of a horror comedy. I always saw it. It was one of those movies where when when I'd go into the video store, I'd always see it on VHS, like sitting on the shelf with the the cover of the mouth with the guy's leg hanging out of it. And I I always wanted to see it, but finally checked it out. It was it was good. I liked it. And then Kronos is the Guillermo del Toro film, vampire film, sort of sort of vampire film. And that was okay too. It was definitely it was interesting because it was one of his earliest films. I think it might have been his earliest film. I think it was his first film. Yeah. And even with that first film, it has that his style, you know, with very intricately designed props and things. You could definitely tell it was his movie. And Ron Perlman was in it. Ron Perlman shows up everywhere. Yeah, Ron Perlman was in it. I mean, it's a Spanish film. Ron Perlman pops up. He, he pops up everywhere. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yes, though. It, Cronus was his first full length. Yeah. I, don't know, I liked it. I would I would recommend that. So that's that's all I got. They're... I think they're both on Criterion, are they not? Yeah, yes. That's actually how I watched it, because I got Hulu Plus. So, checked them out on Hulu Plus. Unbelievable. Eating Round Wool. I might have to check that out. I've never heard of that movie, which is... Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's very it's, odd. It's goofy. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's it's goofy. It's kind of a, a take on the whole swinger culture of the 70s. Directed by the guy that did Cannonball and Death Race 2000. Paul there you go. Bartle. I love Death Race 2000. That was like a classic. It was a classic exploitation film. <laughs> uh, Cannonball. That's all I got. What do you got? What do I got? Well, I watched what is considered a cult classic titled The Man Who Fell to Earth with David Bowie. Mm-hmm. The Nicholas... And uh, once again, I forgot how the hell to pronounce this guy's name. Should have looked that up. Nicholas Rogue? Sure. Roeg? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Nicholas Rogue. 
this is just a mind trip of a movie. It's a sci-fi movie. Uh, David Bowie plays Thomas Jerome Newton, who's an alien from a dying planet. And he comes to Earth for, I have no idea what reason. I guess he wants water, but he doesn't. Yeah, it says in the synopsis, it says to get water. But at no point does he devise a plan to, like, gather the water and take it back to his planet, which is his planet's, like, completely dry. There's no water there. So I don't really, it seems like he came to Earth, but had no plan. <laughs> like he thought about it a little bit and, and maybe he just, he jumped the gun a little bit. He just, well, he had no, question. he had no plan. If you're, if your planet is dying, why would they only send one person? I don't. Why would they send everyone? You would think. You'd be like, hey, we're going to, our planet's dying. Let's just send this one guy. Well, and it, send- it's not even, it doesn't even seem like his planet sent him. Like, he just left. Like, he was like, uh, uh I'm going to go to that planet because they got shit tons of water. And I'm going to bring it back. And then he gets to our planet and he's like, ah, I didn't think this through. I have no way of getting this water back. And so he just sort of wanders around. He sells, apparently he has like 500 silver rings that he sells at various pawn shops. He makes like 20 bucks at a time. And then he, of course, develops all this new technology and hires a lawyer because he has all these patents and then he builds this huge corporation because he has like, he invents color film that automatically develops itself and all this other shit. And he makes a shit ton of money and he just wants to go back home. So he creates a, uh, a space program, but then he's caught by us earthlings and his life turns to shit. Hmm. It's so goddamn bizarre. So bizarre. And I have to say, I read a couple of reviews and essays because a lot of people tout this as like, like I said, it's a cult classic. A lot of people say that it's like a sci-fi classic. It's a must-see sci-fi film. And it is not. (laughs) It does have a young Rip Torn in it. Which, yeah, I saw him on the on the cast list here. Which is odd, because I didn't even notice him at first. I was looking through the list, and I was like, Rip Torn is in this movie? Poor Rip Torn. Have you heard about all that stuff that he was... Yeah. Going through? <laughs> he broke into that... What did he break? He broke into, like, a... Was it a bank or something? Yeah, he thought it was his house. Yeah. But I have to say, David Bowie's perfect as the alien, because he's just an odd-looking person. And it's definitely a movie for Ryan, because there's a lot of penis. <laughs> and, oh, nice. And there's definitely, there's David Bowie penis. So Ryan would probably love that. But the thing I must say is, I read, like I said, I read a bunch of essays and stuff. That Candy Clark, who plays, she's like, she's like a hotel porter, and she ends up falling in love with David Bowie. And like spending most most of her life with him, and so many people said that her her performance was like a tour de force performance. It's unbelievable, and I have to say that it was the worst part of this movie. 
I don't understand why they say that. It was such a terrible performance. But I don't I, I don't want to put all the blame on her. I think she was like misread because if you've ever seen other Nicholas Rogue movies, which I don't think you have. But No, no, I haven't. But all of his movies, his actresses give sort of over the top performances. Was Mick Jagger one of the over the top a- actresses? Probably. In that in that movie where he was the man and the woman. I'm sure he does give a crazy performance. I don't know. But it's, I just, I don't get it. I don't understand why people say that her performance was so great. It was absolutely terrible. It was the most ridiculous performance I've ever seen. To the point of hilarity, it was that bad. I don't recommend it. I would not see. But to me, it's a, it's a really good story. And I think that if it was maybe done correctly, it would be a sci-fi classic. But to me, it just seems like a like a rough draft. It's just rushed. It's, the storytelling's all over the place. It's just it's ridiculous. Do not watch it. Or watch okay. it if you want to laugh. No, I think I'll probably skip it. Because I'm finding the more that I think about this movie, the more I dislike it. So I think I originally mm. gave it like a six. But now thinking about it, I want to give it like a three. Mm. Just off the wall. And then I also watched Abel, the directorial debut of Diego Luna. And this movie was fantastic. Loved it. Uh, it's about a little kid. I want to say he's like nine years old, 10 years old. I have no idea. I'm terrible at trying to guess ages. His father abandons his family. And apparently Abel doesn't take it well so he's put into like a hospital like he has these sort of like a mental disorder so when he gets out he decides to become the man of the house he becomes he takes the place of his father and it's pretty hilarious because it's a 10 year old kid acting like a full grown adult there's a little darkness to it dark undercurrent but the two kids the kid that plays Abel and the kid that plays uh, the youngest brother, Paul, are, I guess, they're brothers in real life, and they are hilarious. It looks pretty cool. It looks like, um, it looks kind of reminiscent of Boy. It's probably the second best performance of kids. Seems like we've seen a lot of that this year and last year. Yeah. Like, Boy, I still think is the best. This one, I think, is second. Pretty good for a uh, debut for Diego Luna. Might have to check that one out. Yeah, I wasn't expecting much because usually debuts are a little, you know, hit, yeah, hit or like, miss. Uh, <laughs> first movie comes to mind, Don't Go in the Woods, Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> <laughs> Complete fucking mess. Uh, I'm pretty sure this movie's better than that one. It wouldn't take a lot, let me tell you. <laughs> wouldn't take a lot. Uh, you got anything else? Um, I watched the new uh, Beat Takeshi movie, Outrage, from 2010. Yeah, his, I saw that. His, re- saw that. his return to the Yakuza film. Yeah. And it's good. It's decent. I mean, it's not his best, which, I mean, he made classics which I think it's pretty hard to top, like, Fireworks and Sonatine. 
but it's de- it's definitely entertaining, and it's definitely a lot better than that train wreck brother, which was the last Yakuza movie he did, which was god awful. I didn't I didn't hate it. I hated it. It was so bad, and it's sad that that was because that was like an American film, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was an American. I yeah. think it was maybe like some kind of joint venture, but. Yeah. Um, what's his name is in it? Omar. Omar Epps. And there's two scenes that I remember specifically. The scene where he stand, where he's like standing in front of Beat Takeshi on the sidewalk, <laughs> and he's like yelling at him, and Beat Takeshi's just standing there with his like blank stare, and just bends over and breaks a bottle. What does he do? Break a bottle and stabs him in the face with it? Or yeah. Something? <laughs> I'll never forget that scene and the scene at the very end where Omar Epps is like, I love you, Anarchy. I love you. I love you. Uh, oh, that's right. Uh, One of the worst deliveries. <laughs> uh, Omar Epps. Whatever happened to him? He's on House. Uh, yeah, that's right. I don't watch House. Well, it's over now. The only thing I know about House is it's not lupus. oh my god it's so funny that you brought that up because that's anytime because my girlfriend likes house and and used to watch it and every episode i'd be like oh i bet they're dealing with lupus i bet they're dealing with lupus yeah i think my wife's sister was into that show and i would always because it's it's just a formula tv show they start with one thing and it's not that so they go to the second thing. It's not that. He makes like four four wrong diagnoses until he actually gets it. Like he's a terrible fucking doctor. But back to I want to make a t-shirt. T-shirt idea. It's not lupus. It's not lupus. <laughs> but he still he still thinks it's lupus. That that's why I wanted I didn't get to watch it, but I think it would have been funny if the very last episode it was lupus. That would be funny. And it was just like a see, long, like a long, it's just a long setup to a joke. So getting back to outrage, <laughs> <laughs> back to outrage. Um, yeah, like I said, it's you know, it's a decent Yakuza movie. It's def- it's not his best, but of course, Beat Takeshi plays this same style gangster that he always plays with that stoic, the stoic gangster with the facial twitches. Mm-hmm. Which I love. I think to me, he's like the best gangster on film ever. He's awesome. So I can I can watch that character all the time. That's I mean I enjoyed the movie. It, I definitely if you're gonna start with Beat Takeshi, I would say that you know this is one of his lower ranked films. I would say watch you know Fireworks or Violent Cop or uh, Sonatine, which I think is a classic. But there were some crazy scenes in this. Like, yeah. Uh, did, have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The the de- when the guy's in the dentist office <laughs> and he gets the the drill to his teeth. Yes. That was hard. That was hard to watch. Anything yeah, that involves were, teeth freaks yes. me out. Yeah, there were there were a couple scenes of there was some ultra violence yeah. in this movie. And the way they kill uh, Mizuno. Mm-hmm. That was ridiculous. That was completely yeah. insane. I think they're making a sequel to this, though. 
That'd be That's cool. what I heard. I, I definitely agree that it's not his best no. movie, but it's <clears> hard to it's hard to top those. Yeah, and that's it's sort of what I'm thinking is I think he should get away from the Yakuza movie. As much as I I'd hate to see him leave that genre. Well, as long as he doesn't go back to like romantic comedies, no. I'd be okay with it. Yeah, yeah, he needs he needs to stay away from the romantic comedies. Which is funny because he's a comedian. That's how he started. Wasn't they have it? Have yeah, had one of those. Yes, on DVD, I did, didn't and you? it was awful. It was <laughs> so bad. I had what was it? Getting any? Oh, that yeah, was a, getting any. That was a terrible film. Oh Lord, have mercy. Oh, that's that's great. But yeah, that, to me, I think he should retire from the Yakuza movie because you're just not going to be able to top Fireworks or Sonatine. Or anything. Well, you never know. I mean, what if what if he comes over to the states and does gets joins up with like you know Nicholas Vinding Renf or somebody? That would be pretty crazy. I don't think that's going to happen though. I think he, I think he's missed out on the uh, American audience. Yeah, because uh, rather well, other than maybe um, other than maybe doing like a Tarantino movie and being like a, a boss or a bad guy in a Tarantino movie, you know, like Katori Hanzo yeah, or somebody like, um, like Sonny Chiba in that's, that was, that was Sonny Chiba, right? Mm-hmm. In, um, Kill Bill. Yeah. I mean, Tarantino's worked with Mieke. Yeah. So I think that'd be cool, but yeah. Um, Let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk about some news. We got a lot of stuff coming out of Comic-Con. As most of you probably know, Comic-Con is happening this weekend. Some of the big stuff, the Godzilla movie. There's a Godzilla uh, they, movie? Yeah. So they're doing a reboot of Godzilla, or maybe not a reboot. I guess a remake would probably be a better term. And the director is Gareth Edwards. Who directed a movie you hated that I liked he, a lot? Monsters, didn't he? Monsters. Oh, that movie fucking sucked. I liked Monsters quite a bit, and apparently at, at Comic Con they unveiled the poster, the first poster. You can check that out on our site right now, and it's an awesome looking poster. And they also unveiled the teaser at Comic Con, which hasn't been released online yet. Although I do anticipate that'll probably be up after Comic-Con wraps. So it's getting a lot of really, really positive buzz going on from this. So I'm excited for that. I was never a huge Godzilla fan, but... Yeah, I'm not a huge... I think if it's done right, um, I think it could be a really cool movie. Like, I'm thinking of The Host. I loved the Korean movie The Host. And that was sort of a Godzilla-type movie, and I think that it worked really well, and I liked it a lot. So I'm, I'm interested. Godzilla. Um, the, the other big thing, uh, Marvel announced their Phase 2 lineup. So phase 2. We're gonna, phase 2. Phase 2. Yep. Phase, phase 1 was all, all the things we had up to the Avengers. So that wrapped the first part... The, of their saga. That was the end of phase one. 
that was the end of phase one. So now we have phase two, which is going to be Iron Man 3, Thor 2, um, Captain America 2, which we already knew about those three. But they yeah. officially announced Guardians of the Galaxy, which is another team, which I, I don't know. Guardian, if Guardian of the Galaxy. Yeah, they have, uh, <laughs> I think the most interesting part of Guardians of the Galaxy is the fact that Rocket Raccoon is in that team. And we get to see Rocket Raccoon on the big screen. Oh, God. Well, I wonder but, which one are they going with? Are they going like old Guardians of the Galaxy or new Guardians of the Galaxy? They have. There is some concept art that they unveiled, and it looks pretty cool. Like, it looks like it is actually going to be pretty decent. So, I don't know about that one. We'll have to see. We also have Ant-Man, which is the new property that uh, Edgar Wright is directing. Very excited about this. It's the, the quote that Edgar Wright said when he appeared at Comic-Con was, Ant-Man will kick your ass one inch at a time. <laughs> And apparently it's going to be a comedy. Ant Man. Well, I hope so. You can't take Ant Man seriously, can you? No. I think it would would be a disaster if you took him seriously. I think it's going to be really cool to have a a purely comedic role in the. I mean, it's assumed that he's going to be in the Avengers, too. So I think that's, that's going to be cool. And they also unveiled some plot details of the new Thor, which is called The Dark World and Captain America, which is called The Winter Soldier. Now, the Thor thing I don't really care about, but the Captain America I'm actually very intrigued about because the Winter Soldier storyline is when Bucky, you know, his partner comes Mm -hmm. back. So, I think what they're going to be doing in the film is they're going to be jumping back and forth between uh, World War II when Bucky was lost and present day when he comes back. Mm. And they're going to be filling in the gaps there. And the whole Winter Soldier storyline in the comic books, at least, was really, really cool. So, I'm I'm excited for that. Hmm. And they also unveiled some footage of the new Guillermo del Toro film Pacific Rim and I'm sure that that's going to be cool because it's Guillermo del Toro he's he's finally going to finish a movie yeah and the our interview with T.S. Nolan writer T.S. Nolan he actually did worked with Guillermo del Toro on some rewrites for that Uh, yeah Ron Perlman's in it (laughs) Ron Perlman is everywhere he is everywhere. I'm telling you, Charlie Day's in it. That's awesome. That is awesome. Clifton Collins Jr. too. He seems to be in a lot of places. He is in a lot of stuff. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention was we mentioned Mondo posters quite a bit on the show and on the site. Never. I love Mondo posters. I think that they're the of the highest quality, and they're just awesome they're which, just amazing which ones are they sold out of now well that's that's the thing that's what i'm 
going to be talking about here. So they are doing a Mondo poster for The Dark Knight Rises. The artist is Ali Moss. He did a lot of Mondo posters. And he's probably one of the biggest names in, in the Mondo, on the Mondo team. They're doing a Dark Knight Rises poster, and everybody can get one. So it's there's no limits. They're going to be 40 bucks, which is pretty much the standard price for most Mondo posters. Wow. And starting Wednesday, this Wednesday, July 18th, all day, you can order one, and you're guaranteed to get one. Wow. So they're going to be doing as many prints as necessary. And one random poster will have a golden ticket in it that you can trade in to have a custom poster made from Ali Moss that is whatever you want. That is cool. Yeah, so you can like send in a picture of whatever you want and he'll he'll do a, a poster of it. That is cool. And the Dark Knight Rises poster is pretty awesome looking. So I take it you're going to be picking up a Mondo poster for $40? Yeah, absolutely. I like that idea. I mean, they're 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 great. They're great posters. They do most of them. They do make very very nice posters. And I'm so sick of logging onto the site and seeing this amazing poster (laughs) sold out of one of my favorite movies, and then it's sold out. Like, I mean, and that's why they're doing this because they know that people are complaining to them every day that no one can ever get their posters because they sell out so fast. Yeah. But at the same time, I kind of like that, you know, it's, it makes, it it adds a level of uniqueness to the poster that you get. I mean, they take this poster stuff seriously. They do make that very good posters. That is really cool. Yep. You can actually get, I got all the news you got. All I got is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's going to be in the Hunger Games, apparently. The, new, yeah, the newest one. That. What is it? Catching Fire, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. What's the third one called? Like Mocking? Mocking, Mocking Jay? Jay. Mocking Jay? Mocking Jay. Did you read all three or just the first one? I read all of them. All of them? Yeah. Read all of them. Yeah, they're pretty good. Good on oh, you. They're not, they're not long reads. It wasn't like I dedicated... <laughs> large portions of my life to them but i mean after the after i read the first one i was like well i gotta see where they take it where, where are they gonna take it well apparently he's gonna be playing a character named jesus christ their names are ridiculous plutarch heavensby oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh, uh also they actually this week Related to that, they announced the release schedule of the rest of the films. Yeah, so I saw that. There's the, the, actually Mocking Jay is going to be two parts. Yep. Oh, I hate when they do that. Yeah, so we're going to be dealing with <laughs> we're going to be dealing with it's, Hunger yeah. Games movies for the, till 2015. Oh my god! So <laughs> sit back. Get ready for some archery. Oh, yeah. God. Uh, any other news bits? No, the one, only one other thing is uh, Ed Helms is going to be redoing the vacation movies. Do you see this? I, I read that they were going to be redoing them. I didn't know that Ed Helms was involved. Yes. 
Ed Helms is involved. So uh, I don't. Another thing, just let it go away. Just let things die. Why do we have to reboot everything? I don't know. I mean, if they're gonna have to reboot the vacation movies, I would. I would say Ed Helms would probably be a good choice for that. I think so too, but it- because because uh, I'm thinking about who who else, like who else would it be? But I also read that um, Ed Helms was going to be uh, Rusty Griswold, and that he was going to play the you know the the son of Chevy Chase. Yeah, and that Chevy Chase was in talks to be in it, but he's just going to play the grandfather. Yeah. So if they if they go that route and make it something unique and different, I'm on board. But if they just do a complete remake, I'm sorry, but for me, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is one of my favorite all-time Christmas movies. I have to watch it every year. I love it. It's so funny. And if they remake that, I'm going to be very upset. Yeah. Well, did you see, and I don't know if you saw this, but uh, they're already think, trying to make a American remake of Clown with Danny McBride? Yeah, I did read that. I don't... It's ridiculous. I don't, I don't know about that. The movies don't even come out yet. We're remaking them. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't come out till what? Um, like two weeks or something. Yeah. Right? And they're already in talks to remake it. Or make an, you know, American version. Oh. I don't think it'll work. And if, and if after you see it, you'll, you'll agree. You'll be like, that's not going to work. Yeah. I mean, from what you t- told me, what you've talked about, this, it's not going to work. It's just going to be a, like a watered down version of. Right. It'll be a watered down version, but the cultural differences are not going to translate. It's just. Uh, it won't work. It'll just be the Hangover. Yeah, it'll just be the Hangover. That's I just it. I hope they get Danny McBride, and I hope they get like Lars Van Trier to direct it. That would be great. That would be funny because I think he directed like the latest episode of the TV mm-hmm. series. Yeah, he did. So that'd be great if he got they <laughs> got him to direct the American remake. Lars Van Trier and Danny McBride. Yep. Now I would watch that. I would watch that, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. You want to talk about some Amazon deals? I guess. Let's do it. Uh, to get these incredible deals, just visit our site at filmpulse.net. Either click on the Amazon banner, shop as you would normally, or click on the store link and check out some of our favorites and what we've been talking about on the show. First up, we have The Hunt for Red October 996 Blu-ray. Ooh, nine ninety six. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Most bizarre prices. Have, I know. Yeah, definitely <laughs> weird prices. We have True Grit, ten ninety, Blu Ray. Ten? Are you kidding me? My yep. God, Amazon. It was one of my favorite films of when did that come out? Two thousand ten. Yeah. Hey, you were. You, that was the last time you were up, wasn't it? No. I you, was, no, you. No, yeah, you did come up later. Summer. Yeah. It was a blast summer, but I don't think we saw anything. Yeah. And then finally we have Black Hawk Down 999 Blu-ray. Ooh. So, check those out. 
All you got to do is just click on the little banner on the site, and you'll be helping us out greatly when you do that. Anything you buy from Amazon doesn't have to be DVDs. Just click through, and you'll be helping us out and supporting the site. We appreciate that. It could be jogging shirts. Jogging shirts, batteries, whatever. Anything. Batteries. Food, coffee, toilet paper. That's right. You get your coffee from Amazon. Soon you're just going to be able to buy everything from Amazon. You can pretty much buy everything now. Pretty much, yeah. Let's talk about... Can you buy cars on Amazon? No. Ah. Not that I'm aware of. You might be able to buy, like, Vespas or something, or Segways. (laughs) I forgot about Segways. Segways. Oh, man, that's awesome. (laughs) They're still around. They are. I haven't seen one. Let's talk about Moonrise Kingdom. Let's. Now, before we get into it, I just want to ask you first, where does Moonrise Kingdom rank among Wes Anderson films for you? Uh, I think they're all tied at one, (laughs) except for Darjeeling. Darjeeling's two. Everything else is tied at one. (laughs) Now, uh, hmm, where would it rank? That's a good question. Yeah, see, I've been mulling over this for the last couple days since I saw that. Well, I have Royal Tenenbaums as number one. Number two is Life Aquatic. Three would probably be Rushmore. Might be fifth. Because four would probably be um, Bottle Rocket. Where and does Fantastic Mr. Fox fit in there? Below Moonrise at six? Yeah, might be at six. Yeah. I think, hmm. I think, that, I think that'll work. But, I mean... It's, it's really tough for me, too. Because really, I was thinking about it. They're still like, high, okay. though. You know what I mean? Like, right. A five right. on this list is, like I said, they're essentially tied for one. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like ranking your ten out of tens. Mm-hmm. Which I do. Um, I should say, and I, I'm sure you'll agree with me, and I think you're the same way. But I'm completely biased when it comes to Wes Anderson, and he can do yes. no wrong, really. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> for that reason, I did not review Moonrise Kingdom for the site. We actually have Chad doing that, but I think he's a pretty big Wes Anderson fan, too. So, I don't know, that might be a biased <laughs> review as well. I think it's kind of tough. Yeah. But it's interesting, though, because Wes Anderson, there's a lot of people that don't like his movies. There's a lot of people that, that don't really like his style. Well, but Which I find hilarious, and I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Because... I know. I guess we'll we'll come back to it because I do want to. Uh, where would you rank Moonrise? Oh, okay, I would rank Moonrise at probably four. Four. Okay. Uh, I have Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, three would probably be Fantastic Mr. Fox. Then we'd have Moonrise, followed by Life Aquatic. No, Bottle Rocket. Then Life Aquatic. Then Darjeeling, I would. <laughs> I'd like how both of ours Darjeeling is the lowest. Well, yeah, which is pretty easy to rank. It I lowest. really enjoyed Darjeeling. I mean, I didn't dislike it. I just thought that by the time Darjeeling came out, I felt like he was. It it almost felt like he was in a rut. Yeah, and he needed Fantastic Mr. Fox to pull him out of that. And I think that that's exactly what happened. But going back to people not liking Wes Anderson's style, I find it interesting that 
when Moonrise Kingdom came out and the reviews started coming out and stuff, everybody loved it. Everybody loved this movie. And even people that are like, well, you know, I don't normally like Wes Anderson movies, but when you look at Moonrise Kingdom, this is the most Wes Anderson movie, yeah, in my opinion. It's this ex- is the most Wes Anderson movie that he's ever done. Yeah. It's definitely Wes... It's very Wes Anderson-esque. When this movie came out, or before it came out, like, leading up to its release, I read a lot of people that, you know, oh, I hate Wes Anderson's style. He makes the same movie over and over again. Same movie. Do something different. And it's like, number one... That's what all tours do. They have a style and they stick with it, which really pissed me off when people said that. Because they would say, like, he makes the same movie, his same style all the time. Real directors don't do that. I'm sorry, but for a time there, all of Godard's movies were exactly the same. All of Bergman's movies are exactly the same. I mean, that's those guys have a style and they stick with it. That's what directors do. Yeah. So I don't understand why people get so upset that he has a distinct style of making movies. I mean, you either like that style or you don't. Well, I think that's one criticism that, that some people have, that they just don't like that style. Now, which, and- which is fine. But, I mean, to get on a guy's case saying that he makes the same movie all the time is ridiculous. Because those are the same people that sit there and say, you know, like Igmar Bergman's one of the greatest directors of all time. And it's like, yeah. And almost all of his movies are exactly the same. He has a distinctive style that he does all the time. It's what directors do. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of directors that are out there nowadays. And the interesting thing about Wes Anderson is that he's a very imitated director nowadays. You, you look at, I mean, you can see his influence in, as much as you could say that that Wes Anderson himself draws influence from like you know sixties French cinema or whatever, his films are very influential on a lot of modern filmmakers, yeah, and I think that there's something to be said about that, and there's not too many people like cinephiles that you'll talk to that will tell you that Rushmore is a bad movie. Like, everybody loves Rushmore. I mean, it's just... And I've heard a lot of criticisms come from people about Royal Tenenbaums, but, I mean, that's one of my favorites, too. And it it was your top Wes Anderson. So... Yeah. I think that it's just the guy's style. Like, if you... Like, don't, don't criticize him for having movies that have a similar look to them because clearly now if it was the exact same movie over and over again, yeah, then, then there might be an issue. But the fact is that all his movies are unique in their own way and they evoke this emotion in different ways. I mean, a lot of the themes in his films are similar but they're all done in such a way that it that it's very unique. And I think I think it's just funny because imagine if he did like like a make a complete left turn with his next movie, then it would probably be like all these people would just I would imagine they would come out and say like, "What the hell? What the hell is he doing?" Yeah, he sold out. He made a totally different movie. 
What happened to the Wes Anderson style? It'd be like uh, it'd be like DJ Shadow, people people losing <laughs> losing it over DJ Shadow. Uh, that is unfortunate, though. Yes, but but yeah, I see uh, Moonrise Kingdom as a uh, sort of like a love letter to sixties, seventies French cinema, which I thoroughly enjoyed because I enjoy sixties, seventies French cinema. So I don't, I don't particularly enjoy 60s. <laughs> I, I know you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> but I enjoy Wes Anderson. There's, there's something about the look of his movies and the the feel, the tone of his movies that always makes me feel good. And, and the, I can see the same thing about Safety Not Guaranteed. The whole, the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm smiling. I mm-hmm. just have a smile on my face the whole time. They. He he makes you feel good, and sometimes it's nice to have a movie that's just pure and sure. Very, it'll have some serious yeah. moments, which I think. He, but I think that's something that a lot of people don't really talk about when they discuss him. As a, I think he has a really <clears throat> compelling way of just sort of slipping in the sadness. Oh yeah, just you know. Yeah. And there's a limit in there, and he, I love the way that he does it. A lot of times, he'll shock the audience. Like he'll he'll do something. He'll take the movie somewhere that you just did not see it going. Like yes. like when the Darjeeling when the dog like in Darjeeling Limited, yeah, Darjeeling Limited, the the whole river scene when the with the kids in, on the bridge, and Life Aquatic, the pirate scene, and the. <laughs> And even more so, the scene at the end with the helicopter crash, and all that, all that stuff. He he does take it his films to some very dark places, and I think that it's a really interesting juxtaposition with the overall tone of his movies. Because for you know ninety minutes or whatever, you're you're seeing this relatively <laughs> happy kind of light comedy and all of a sudden you'll just get speared with this thing that's like so serious and almost shocking that you're just like whoa you know like he just kind of gives you this jolt yeah dog dog dies in moonrise which was pretty pretty shocking like everyone in the the audience that i saw the theater that I was at when that <laughs> popped up, everyone was like, "Oh, well, yeah, no, it was horrible. <laughs> it was, it was, it was bad." But you know, he he shows you that, and then he gives you the palate cleanser by having that little the little conversation with Sam and the girl, and it was just like, I don't remember what he said, but it was so funny when he before he pulled the arrow out, but. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that actually brings me to just a side note. The theater that I saw it in was AMC, and apparently AMC is doing this uh, independent film series, and so they brought in Moonrise Kingdom, Safety Not Guaranteed. They're going to be getting Red Hook Summer, which is the new Spike Lee film, and the print that they got, it, the, they showed it on thirty-five millimeter, and the print that they got for Moonrise Kingdom was from a landmark theater chain. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. I have not. But like the landmark logo played before the movie, like they didn't cut that off. <laughs> and then like That's... the whole time, the whole movie, first of all, they put it in one of the tiny theaters 
And clearly they underestimated the success of this film because it was completely packed. I had to sit in the second to last row, which I hate. And then there was this humming nonstop throughout the movie. And the music was like 10 decibels louder than than the uh, dialogue. So I feel like that I probably missed some stuff. <laughs> and like it really have. pissed me off. <laughs> uh, sounds like it was a terrible experience, almost. It wasn't great. It wasn't <clears throat> great. I, I still enjoyed the movie thoroughly, but it would have been worse if it was a, a shitty movie. Yeah. But, but all in all... Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I love the movie. I I have to agree. It, with me, the way Wes Anderson movies go is, I just don't want them to end. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I wish you'd come out with one every year. I know. That's that's the worst part. Is now we have to wait probably two three years until he comes out with another one. Yeah. What What did you think of uh, Jared Gilman's first movie role? No, I thought all the kids. I thought all the kids did a phenomenal job. I thought that that kid was amazing. I thought that the girl was amazing. I thought everybody did a uh, yeah, fantastic uh, job. I thought Jared Gilman was he was hilarious. He was standout, yeah, for sure. He was yeah, he hilarious. Uh, just everything I, he did was perfect. I loved the entire scene with <laughs> how they talk about sucking on a. On the pebbles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just show him. They just show him like sucking on pebbles, and then he spits it out, and he's like, "I have water too." Ridiculous. There were a lot of scenes that I really enjoyed, but the thing that I loved the most, and it's a typical Wes Anderson thing, is just the camera work, mm-hmm. the dolly shots, the yeah. The, um, I love when he panning <clears throat> when he does. Um, like in the very beginning of the film, the way he starts it, now he has, you know, half of the building of of the house cut in half, mm-hmm. you know, and he just sort of pans from room to room. Yep. I love that he does that. I love that. I, he does a lot of the, the panning where, like, it'll be, the camera won't be moving. It'll be like a static shot with something happening, and then he'll quickly turn it to the left or right, and it'll be something else m- ridiculous happening you know right next to him or whatever the like the scene where just at the end where he says like where jason schwartzman's like go over there by those trampolines and talk this over and then just how you could just see the kid jumping on the trampoline yeah in the background and stuff i just thought everything was so meticulous everything was so well thought out there was always things happening in the background yeah there's always something going on yeah, but it wasn't just just put there, just to be put there. It was all part of it. It was, I think it was just just a brilliant film. Uh, I'm just remembering some things from this movie. It's making me laugh. Yeah, and and that is to be said. It is a hilarious movie. It is. There's some over the top things that happen. Almost. Yeah, I think I was, th- things that are extremely reminiscent of Fantastic Mr. Fox. I mean, almost pulled directly from Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, there's and two things that I that I didn't like in this movie. I don't, well, they, I mean, the two I things that spoilers? 
I don't know if they're spoilers, but the two things that I loved was Jerry Gilman's performance and Schwartzman, Jason Schwartzman's performance, even though he's only in it for like, I don't know, maybe like five minutes, but <laughs> that his scene is hilarious with the nickels. But <laughs> <laughs> the two things that I didn't like, um, well, I did, it's not that I really didn't like it. I just didn't really understand it was um, Harvey Keitel. Yeah, they made a big deal about him being just, in it. Like, yeah. Because they, they didn't list him in the credits or anything. It was like a surprise. And then like the scene when he showed up, you know, he had the newspaper in front of him. So like it it's was just, supposed to be like a big cameo surprise. But the, I, I didn't. Oh, yeah, I didn't get that. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know. It's, it just seems like he was wasted. It doesn't seem like they really needed Harvey Keitel to be in it. I mean, he's only yeah, in I'm it for sure. a couple minutes and he doesn't really do anything. Yeah. So I just, I, I thought that was bizarre. And then I don't know if this, it might be a little bit of a spoiler, but when he gets struck by lightning, <laughs> I thought that was sort of ridiculous. I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah. I thought it was funny. It just, it looked goofy. I don't know. Yeah, it looked goofy. But I mean, the the scene with Edward Norton and Harvey Keitel when he saved... Yeah. I don't want to give... That looked ridiculous, too. Yeah. But I thought it was funny. Definitely check it. it out. I mean, would Overall, you, what would you give it? Like, if you had add a 10? Oh, God, I don't know. Because you know you want, you want to give it a 10. I know you I know. do. It's, it's impossible for me... I'm realizing that it's impossible for me to give movies that I see recently, a 10 out of 10. Like, I can't I, do it. I have that problem, too. I just... I don't know, because I always feel as though... Well, I've said it numerous times. I feel as though, like, I'll regret it later. <laughs> like, like, it, like I always bring up Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. Dude, when I saw that movie, I thought it was the coolest movie ever. I lost my shit. I was totally caught up in it. And I was like, oh my god, this movie's amazing. And then I saw it again, and I was like, God damn, this movie's fucking a disappointment. <laughs> but let me ask you this, okay? This this is sort of on topic. Does does the exhibition of the film, so in other words, like whether you see it in the theater or see it at home, does that take part in your thoughts on a film? Because I realize that it does for me. Like if I see a movie in a theater there's a much higher chance of me liking it than if I see it at home. Yeah. And a great example of that for me is Avatar because I saw Avatar in IMAX in 3D and I loved it. I thought it was amazing. And then I saw it on HBO and I was like, this is, this is not good. I do not like this. <laughs> and that made me realize like there's so many times where I'll see a movie and I'll be like, completely enamored with it and be in it and just I love it and, and then, then you watch later it at I'll see it at home and, and I'm wondering like, well I think it's a, I mean there's for the most part I only go to the movies to see movies that I'm really excited for you know like Moonrise Kingdom stuff that I can't wait for but there's also I'll only go see um like action movies like big time action movies or something like that. I think you need to see in the theater, you know, like you're saying avatar that needs to be seen in the theater to fully experience right. it. You know, like the dark Knight rises, you have to see that in the theater. 
It's the way it's meant to be seen. But it's so, I mean, there's some movies that I'll be sort of excited to see, but I'm also at the same time, I'll be like, well, I don't really need to see that in the theater. That's a movie that I can enjoy at home. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of like dialogue based movies. There's not really action or anything to me. I don't, I don't feel compelled to see that in the cinema. I can actually just watch it, wait for it to come out on DVD and watch it at home. But I feel as though some, yeah. And I think, I think, yeah. Cause, and I think it also depends on, like you said, we have so many experiences at movie theaters that are awful. And then you have some experiences that are quite good. Like, uh, I always have a good experience at the Charles in Baltimore. I do not usually have a good experience at the movie theater in Elizabethtown. Because, you know, I think it, you get two different kinds of crowds. Mm-hmm. So I think that plays a part, too. Because, I mean, like, like I said, I was so into Slumdog Millionaire. And, of course, I saw that at the Charles. And the music was so loud and just full of energy. And it was just awesome. And then I watch it at home and it's like, oh, God. <laughs> I can't so. believe I was so into this movie. Because, like, when I first, because I think I remember, like, calling you as soon as I was done watching Slumdog. And we just, like, freaked out about the movie. Yeah. And I probably gave it, like, an eight or a nine at that point. But, like, rewatching it, I'd give that movie, like, a five. But what what would the real score be though? Because what no. was the real the real experience that you had? I don't know, and I think it's I think that's why it is hard with newer movies, because I want to see how they stand up over time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, that's why scoring movies is stupid. Well, yeah, None of us should ever do it <laughs> because the scores change. It's just so arbitrary. Yeah, because yeah. I mean. To be completely honest, I think I actually do like The Life Aquatic a bit better than Royal Tenenbaums. But Royal Tenenbaums is always going to be like one of my favorites because it was just, it was a really fun experience. You know, all of us driving out to Baltimore and seeing it at the Charles late at night, it was awesome. So that's why that movie is always like at the top. Yeah. Yeah, we did. That was a good trip. But just talking about Moonrise Kingdom. By itself, I think that most people will like this movie, yeah. and I think it's that, a it's a good time. I think that it will probably be. I mean, it'll definitely be on my top ten of the year, I'm sure. And I think it'll probably end up on a lot of people's top tens. Um, a lot of the other podcasts that I listen to, they started doing their like mid year top tens, and maybe we maybe we'll do that. Probably, yeah. Not. We'll we'll think about it. We'll think about doing something like that. I don't know. I'm trying to think of... I guess it probably would be my favorite so far of the year. Like I said, uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, I think, is but for just me it's, a little bit higher. It's, it's tough to say that, because right there, I haven't seen that movie yet. That might be... T- that's why I, I find it hard to make those lists, because there's so many movies that I haven't seen. Well, if we do decide to do like a mid-year thing, we'll put maybe make a a list of movies that we just didn't get a chance to see yet that might be on the list or something. Yeah, because especially considering where I live. Right. Most of those movies we don't get, we don't get them fancy cultured movies. We get them, but apparently not till two months after they're out. Yeah, that's usually, 
That's something that sort of happens around here too. We'll get movies when they come out on like DVD. It's like, oh, what the hell's the point? I just rented the damn thing. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our conversation on Moonrise Kingdom. If you haven't seen it, please go out and see it. It is a fantastic movie, and it's I wish highly my, recommended. I wish my life was a Wes Anderson film. Me too. It'd be awesome. With the soundtrack playing in the background mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. And just charming as all hell. That'd be <laughs> great. Let's talk about our predictions. Let's go over what we predicted last week. We had Easy Money. I said 76. You said 80. Actual 87. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's that's a, a win for you. But be prepared because... Uh. You're, I have a feeling that I got destroyed. That's the only one you got for this week. Oh, fantastic. We have Ice Age, Continental Drift, I think is the name of it, right? Yeah. Did we find uh, out? You, no, I think we talked about it before. What number is this? Three? I think it's four. 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 Pretty sure it's four. God, was, how many are they going to make? There's like Meltdown. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm just making it. They're, they're making like six Kung Fu Panda movies. I don't like any of those. Oh, my God. Just get, get it over with. You said 58. I said 50. Actuals 40 on yep. that one. Awesome. Uh, we have red lights. I said 46. You said 50. Actual 33. Wow. Ouch. Ouch. That indeed. One, that one, uh, not so good, apparently. Mm-hmm. We're still going to see it. Mm. Then we have, finally, we have The Imposter. I said 95. You said 92. Actual 97 on The Imposter. Mm. So I'm very I, excited to see that yes, one. Yes, I want to see that more than anything. This brings our current total to 27 to 17. Wow. I'm getting destroyed. Left and right. I'm Fantastic. pretty good at picking them. Uh, this week, we only have The Dark Knight Rises. That's the only one we're going to predict. The only one. It's the hmm. only one. I'm going to say like a seven. <laughs> so, <laughs> dude, oh, man. I'm just, it's it sucks I, because I'm like fully prepared for the reviews to come out on this and have it be like 20. Well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it sort of sucks for Christopher Nolan. Because number one, it's not going to live up to what everyone is expecting. I mean, people are just expecting this to be like, like a masterpiece. I mean, you know, it's, it just seems like people get too amped up for some things. They're just, they're creating themselves up. They're going to be let down in some way. I I mean, it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be a great movie, but I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to like change my life. Or be like the greatest movie ever made. Just some, no, you know what I mean. Some so. people just get get so amped up. They want it to be good. Yeah, people. Everyone wants this to be good, and I, I certainly have some reservations with this just by the the trailers and things that I saw. But I just I think, I like you said. I think it's going to be good. I yeah. just I'm really trying not to already have it in my head that it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Because I know I'll be let down. I've been let down by many movies this summer. Yeah, because I got super excited for Prometheus, and that let me down. Yeah. So I'm trying to be a little more 
my excitement's a little more reserved this time around. I just hope Batman dies. That's what I want. If mm, Batman dies at the end, that. oh shit, that would be awesome. Well, what they might ha- have happen is in the comic books, Bane breaks Batman's back. Yes. So maybe they'll maybe they can do something like that. Which I remember we read that comic book at your house. Yeah. That was the day that we what was that? Fireball Island. We flipped it over, folded up with water or something. <laughs> Fireball Island. I wish I still had that. That game is worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars right now. We flipped it over and filled it up with water. Yep. I don't know why. And then we I think we like didn't we pry up your floorboards or something? Like probably, I think we buried something under your floor. Yeah, I wonder if that's still there. Hopefully, back to what do you uh, think? the Dark Knight here. Um, but don't you think that would be? I think that would be such a ballsy, ballsy move to kill Batman. That. that would be. I would have so much more respect for Christopher Nolan. I think that would just be awesome. Kill you him. Can't kill Batman. Kill him. That'd be great. Kill the guy. Well, what, a lot of people are talking, speculating about joseph gordon levitt's character and the possibility of him being robin because like who is he what what role is he playing in this yeah really so, what do you think um wow, this is gonna be a tough one because you know there's there's always gonna be that one asshole that's like i didn't like it just yeah just because it's so popular yeah i didn't like it it wasn't it's no Bergman. <laughs> there's always that there's always that one person you know what i mean that is, it's because it's so big they have to be you know they have to be fellini makes a better movie <laughs> yeah. i wish fellini did batman then we'd have truly great batman movie um so i was thinking like a like a 90 Say like a ninety-six. Okay, I'm saying ninety-five. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, and I already wrote down my. Uh, and why'd it, why'd it be a hundred percent? There won't be that guy. Or watch that guy be me. <laughs> I don't like it that much. Uh, well, Heath Ledger wasn't in it, so you know. It's a letdown. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Uh, for all the latest film news and reviews, hit us up at filmpulse.net. We want to hear your feedback. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Call our voicemail line at 850-391-6071. Also, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Tuesday for DVD and Blu-ray releases.